Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and innovators dedicated to building a better world. Here they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs on their journey. We treat everything we fund as if it were a business trying to maximize impact while minimizing the amount of money they lose. And some of those some of those organizations go positive as in their for-profits and some remain negative as non-profits. But we really treat them all the same. We're trying to create impact in the most efficient way possible. My window on this is social entrepreneurs working on solutions for the very poor that meet the basic needs of the very poor. And so that that's the only thing I know anything about. I know what the view looks like when they're trying to raise money. And this whole impact investing revolution seems largely irrelevant in that world. I we're, we're not seeing some kind of a surge in money. I'm very pleased today to introduce Kevin Starr to Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. Kevin is the founder of Malago Foundation, which funds early-stage social entrepreneurs devoted to maximum impact at scale in developing countries. Kevin set up the Reiner Arnhold Fellows Program in 2003 to apply Malago's principles and tools to help social entrepreneurs turn good ideas into lasting change at scale. Kevin also teaches and mentors fellows in numerous programs for social entrepreneurs and acts as the chairman of Big Bang Philanthropy, a group of funders working together to direct more money to those best at fighting poverty. So thank you very much, Kevin, for taking the time today. It's a great uh, honor to speak to you again and uh, find out a little bit more about what you're doing at Malago um, and how you see the current climate for social entrepreneurs looking for finance uh, in the United States. Fire away. So tell, tell me a little bit uh, about Malago and uh, you know what you're up to at the moment and what kind of companies you look to support. Well, Malago is a private foundation that is focused on finding and funding organizations that have a scalable solution to the basic needs of the very poor. And we're agnostic as to whether something is for-profit or not-for-profit. We're simply uh, obsessed with maximum impact in the lives of the poor. Our portfolio is about 15% uh, grants, uh, 85% grants, and 15% um, debt and equity, uh, given that there's not that many profitable solutions that serve the very poor, uh, we expect that that will be about the same ratio over time. And what, what kind of companies do you invest in? You talk about the, 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 uh, uh, companies that are looking to solve problems at scale. Well, we currently have about 50 funding relationships and the the organizing principle of our portfolio is we we get in when we see a potential scalable solution and an organization that can deliver. 
and we stay in when we still think that, and we get out when we don't believe it anymore. Right, that makes sense. And this grant funding, is this repayable, or how does that work? Grant funding is grant funding. It's free money. Uh, we do only unrestricted funding, and we stay in as long as the uh, as we see progress toward impact and scale. Right. What does it mean to stay in? What does it mean to get out? Well, when you do grant funding, unrestricted ongoing grant funding is the nonprofit equivalent of an equity investment. And so get in means to start funding and stay in means to continue funding annually. Right, right. And you uh, take a, a position on the board. How do you look at your role there in addition to the funding side of things? Well, we have a uh, fellows program that's fo focused on early stage and and later social entrepreneurs and through our fellows program we uh, get to know these organizations really well so we have a very close relationship with them over time that fellows program uh, is has become the major on-ramp to Mulago funding and so we know them well we have a good relationship with them we have a lot of touch points with them uh, quarterly at minimum and uh, out in the field pretty often and we have an annual milestones process that helps them and us establish a very discrete number of priorities in terms of delivery impact and organization building that allow us to collaborate with them very closely on uh, on sort of mutual monitoring that lets us efficiently uh, track our investments with them. Right, right. And, and the, this fellows program, how does one become a Malago fellow? Uh, we find you. Right. So you, you find them and then out of those fellows, a certain number you will go on to fund. And um, what size of grant funding generally do you provide? We generally start with 100000 and we move up, um, as indicated, to our current, uh, current maximum of 300000 a year. But we've also developed something we call surge grants. So when we see an organization is, for whatever reason, in a position to make a dramatic jump towards scale, um, we'll do a larger one-year grant on top of our normal funding to try and move that needle. And we try to leverage that surge funding with uh, uh, funding from other uh, co-funder friends of ours. Right. That's interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about the non-grant funding you provide, which I, I guess is more for uh, more of the profit-making uh, segment of, of, of the fellows or the, the people who are in that part of the market? Yeah, we do um, early stage, almost exclusively early stage investing. Um, and really, <clears throat> perhaps the most... Uh, 
<clears throat> that tends to be in the in the form of whatever make money makes sense at that stage of the idea and that uh, that phase in the organization's overall financing strategy. We're doing more and more uh, equity investments, um, and uh, really. You could think of it as the fundamental uh, rubric is: if this were a nonprofit, would we make it a grant? In other words, we're mostly focused on the impact model, not the uh, with the financing model to follow. Right. What What's that mean? Um. Well, you think of any any social sector organization, they have, it's not often thought of this way, but they have a, a impact model, which is the set of activities they do to create impact, and they have a business model, the set of activities they do to keep the lights on. And we treat everything we fund as if it were a business trying to maximize impact while minimizing the amount of money they lose. And some of those some of those organizations go positive as in their for profits and some remain negative as non profits. But we really treat them all the same. We're trying to create impact in the most efficient way possible. Right. That's interesting. Now I know from talking to Echo and Green and others, they're seeing a lot more for-profit models arise and, and hybrid models and, and so forth. Is that uh, your situation? And what do you think of the the potential for uh, increasing numbers of for-profit um, um, uh, models, uh, for-profit uh, social businesses? You hear talk about new business models and this kind of thing, a lot of talk about that. But uh, presumably as well, you know, particularly if you're working at the base of the pyramid and you're working in, you know, severely uh, challenged uh, situations, there, there must be uh, some kind of limits to what can happen on that front. Well, so how I've described it is this, that the notion that there's three buckets of money, there's free money which is grant money that comes from philanthropist foundations and development uh, agencies. And there's real money that actually is seeking a significant return. And then there's, there's really what I've called maybe money, which is sort of maybe we'll get it back and maybe it will get this venture all the way to real money. And real money is the only way you actually scale and the only businesses that attract real money are genuinely profitable businesses or businesses that uh, manage to persuade people that they will ultimately be quite profitable. And I think we delude ourselves when we think that marginal social ventures are ever going to attract real money. So the, uh, the thing I got interested in is, is – is there much maybe money out there? So organizations that are early stage with a not fully proven technology product or not a fully proven business model 
those are pretty shaky in the social sector and they need they need money that's willing to either be uh, very high risk uh, and or relatively low return and what often happens is these guys will get some significant seed grant and they move forward on that seed money from single or several investors, often family and friends, and they move forward with their idea and they run out of money before any sane person would put real money in it. And then they fall off a cliff. And so to my mind, the thing that really matters is how much maybe money is out there and it's not very much. And so increasingly, I'm of the belief that social entrepreneurs who want to maximize impact through an idea that's supposed to scale up via the market, either by creating a really big business or far more importantly, spurring an industry, because no single business moves the needle all that much. Uh, they often really need to be uh, incubated with free money until it's clear that they actually have a solution that could eventually reach real money. And you need to minimize your need for maybe money because the truth is there just isn't very much out there. And I, I think the whole sector is fooling itself as to how much maybe money is available. Right, that's very interesting. What does that mean for the providers of uh, free money? I think it's... Uh... It's a really interesting turning point. So I used to believe that it was it was actually kind of unethical for anyone to profit from our grant investment. In other words, if the business was to be profitable later, um, I didn't want to put grant money into it early. Um, we still don't provide free money for a for-profit business, but I believe fundamentally if we put grant money into an idea that manages to create real impact in the lives of the poor while scaling up via the market, that's a home run. The problem is there aren't that many solutions that fit that description. Right. I, I know Eklund Green, for one, has recoverable grants as well. Um, is that something that you've looked at? Um, we're trying not to reject it out of hand, but I don't think it, I don't personally think it makes any sense. I mean, I don't know what it is. It, it goes on your books as debt, and uh, if it goes on your books, if it's real, it goes on your books as debt, and nobody likes to give money to a for-profit that's got debt on its books. Um, and it's not serious. It's like if you've got a viable business idea, you should be able to procure debt or equity. And if you're – I wouldn't want Mulago money paying back somebody else's recoverable grant. So I don't think it's a serious tool with that much of a future.
SSIR has been serving global leaders of social change for almost 15 years via its quarterly magazine, online articles, podcasts, videos, webinars and conferences. At its heart is a vision that collaboration between non-profit, business and government sectors is key to solving growing environmental, social and economic justice issues. Find out more at SSIR.org. A lot of talk about uh, impact investment. Uh, a lot of reports about it, a lot of uh, new money uh, seemingly coming into the sector, um, you know, from, from uh, pretty low levels in the first instance, I guess. Um, is this um, what you're talking about, what people might expect to be maybe money? And uh, what is your sense uh, about about the impact investment world? Um, I have found, so my, my window on this is social entrepreneurs working on solutions for the very poor that meet the basic needs of the very poor and so that that's the only thing i know anything about i know what the view looks like when they're trying to raise money and this whole impact investing revolution seems largely irrelevant in that world Uh, we're we're not seeing some kind of a surge in money and the money that there is usually gets concentrated within the small number of uh, ventures that do make a really strong case for being uh, likely to uh, generate returns that would interest real money. And there's not there's very little money really out there for early stage for profits. Right. So what do you see as the benefit then of of a uh, being a social business rather than a a charity? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by social entrepreneur. I think of a social entrepreneur as somebody who starts an organization to develop and move forward a scalable solution and doesn't it it's, doesn't matter if they're for profit or not for profit they're focused on a scalable solution to a um, specific problem and so whether you start a business or not for profit again we we think everybody should be running whatever they do uh, according to business principles and so I just think I think we need to create a new norm of incubating ideas within a nonprofit structure until they really look like they could be worthy over time of real money and hence have some real potential to benefit the poor at scale. At which point you launch a for-profit. Um, uh, either as a completely new entity or as a transformed entity. And that's not the norm. We don't really have established ways to do that. I actually think it's the only real answer to this problem. Can you talk a little bit about that? These aren't, you know, it seems to be a proliferation of incubators as well, different kinds of incubators. Um, what are you talking about that's different from some of the incubators that are out there? Well, 
all the incubators are taking are trying to launch early stage for profits. And here's an example of what I'm talking about. There's an organization in eastern Kenya called Kamaza, K-O-M-A-Z-A. And the founder, Tevis Howard, some years ago had this idea for uh, farmers in who live on some of the lowest quality land in East Africa. So essentially you've got farmers in a semi-arid climate trying to grow crops in a big sandbox in this region. And he had this idea for using rapidly growing trees as a cash crop for them. And so that implied you would need to develop a whole new uh, distributed microforestry model. So it was not proven at the time that you could really successfully grow trees in this setting. And it was absolutely unproven whether a distributed microforestry model could work from a business perspective. But we were so intrigued by the potential of this to create impact in a setting where nobody was working. Nobody had any good answers that we thought that it was really worth putting grant funding into exploring the solution. And eventually, with grant funding um, from us and from others, we got to the point where it looked like this actually could be a profitable business and that the only way it could then get to scale uh, to really matter in the world was if it could access real money. And the only way to access real money is to then flip into a for-profit and get really good at raising that real money. And that's what we're seeing. And now this organization that started as a not-for-profit is now growing as a for-profit. And because we managed to prove out and de-risk the model with grant funding, this thing now has a chance to benefit millions of the poorest people in the world. Wow. That's a, and I think that's a spectacular story that we need to hear a lot more often. Right. That's that's very interesting. How would that be different if they were for a for if they were a for profit? You still provided grant funding. You still no, no. You don't provide grant funding to for profits. Now there are development agencies that, especially in the energy sector, people seem to get big grants from uh, you know, the 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 big aid funders, but I don't really understand how that works. And in the, in the social entrepreneur world, the startup world, nobody gets grants uh, in any reliable way. And we don't, Malaga doesn't give a grant to a for-profit. You launched as a for-profit, you need to live or die as a for-profit. Um, right, you, so see, you see hybrids though, don't you? You see people grant. setting up different kinds of organizations and they're growing so they can tap into you know, different kinds of finance. Have you seen that? And do you think that's an interesting model? I mean, it seems to create a lot of complexity uh, on the way, as well as accessing, in some cases, different pots of money. Um, yeah, I, I generally hate hybrids. They're too <laughs> complicated and they're often bogus, where they sort of off offload a lot of the... Um, 
expensive parts of an early stage for profit onto a non for profit. I understand what they're trying to do, but I think I think it's a uh, it's a solution that doesn't scale. Nobody scales hybrid businesses, and right. you know they don't. Nobody imitates them. They're right. complicated and they're usually one offs. Right, maybe transitional as well in the sense that they maybe. I yeah. mean, the the I think a, a good structure for an early stage company can be a wholly owned for profit within a non profit, so that the larger housing structure is a not for profit, and then you can use um, grant money to help incubate the idea. There comes a point at which the Again, that that has to stand on its own, and you know our 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 notion is the only way that you scale up a business, you scale up impact via a business idea, is through lots of businesses. So really, influencing or creating a whole new industry. So we're just yeah. not interested in structures that can't be replicated. So only businesses that are simple enough for other people to replicate and profitable enough that they'd want to will scale. And are you increasingly active in, um, I guess, what's called collective impact or people who are working at uh, a higher level, I suppose, trying to bring together you know different kinds of organizations or many different organizations within a sector um to you know uh, come at it from different perspectives but also to bring different skills and different organizations is that something you see and is something they seem to be more difficult to fund at a certain level oh i don't know i mean that's kind of gets into the realm of strategic philanthropy and we are more of investor philanthropists. In other words, we're just trying to find organizations that can deliver the greatest impact and fund them. And we end up bringing elements of our portfolio together in, you know, bringing all of our agriculture organizations together or all of our health organizations together so that they can learn from each other and create and, and create networks in a way that answers to their perceived needs and they become a functional network but it isn't orchestrated or forced in any way and I don't I'm not smart enough to create try to drive some kind of collective impact strategy um, I have a pretty dim view of strategic philanthropy overall Right, that's interesting. It's interesting. I just wanted to get your perspective. So, a lot of people talking about it at the moment. What about from the perspective of the social entrepreneur? Um, a lot of people talk about challenges being in, in terms of being investment ready, and I guess that's a shorthand for various different things. But um, how do you, how well prepared do you think uh, social entrepreneurs are? Or the other, put it the other way around. What are a few things that would help? Uh, social entrepreneurs, do you think, uh, talk to funders uh, in a smarter way or think about how they are operating with a view to, you know, getting better funding over time? I think the problem lies with the funders. 
uh, funders need to recognize a good thing when they see it. And, you know, the, the thing is, if, if something is a, to be, again, I just find it, I need something, I need a simple kind of paradigm to work with. And this notion of free money and maybe money and real money has been really useful for us. And to be ready for real money, you have to have a, uh, a business model that you can persuade people will be profitable. And for savvy investors, that requires a pretty, um, that's a pretty high standard. And you have to have an organization that can deliver, meaning a senior team that can evolve the model and can build an organization and attract the money and talent they need to do so. And in the social sector, you need an idea that really can generate impact and that you can prove will generate impact, although this is one of the biggest faults of the impact investing industry is that that proof of impact is, is really takes a, a, a distant backseat to the business model. And usually there's an impact story that everybody buys and then all the focus goes on to the business model and the financing. Rather than deepening the understanding about and the ability to implement and make and, and make impact happen. Yeah, well, uh, uh, other than any rigor around um, iterating, approving impact and iterating Right. And what kind of co yes. What kind of co-funders do you work with, Kevin? Can you talk a little bit about that? And um, are you optimistic seeing different kinds of organisations emerging there? Or you know, um, is it mostly grant funders? Other grant funders you work with? Um, yeah, but we have. I think there's an increasing number of funders that that have are willing to make, um, you know, what in the United States are called PRIs, Program Related Investments, which are you know, uh, debt or equity into organizations that are um, impact first, uh, where you can defensively say that the organization is um, built around driving impact and uh, secondarily around generating a return. So a lot of people are starting to um, to do both. I mean, we found that it's actually easier than we thought. We thought it would be really complicated to start doing debt and equity as a foundation and have it be part of our 5% plus distribution, and it's, it's not. So we really look for the opportunities where it makes sense to do so. Um, I'm really open, though, to the idea of, of doing grant funding where we understand that we're developing a solution that might scale up via the market by attracting real money eventually. Right, right. Very interesting. What about people looking for maybe money? Any advice? <laughs> Be realistic. <laughs> Be realistic and, and 
understand where it's come from from others you know your best source of funders is the people who are funding stuff similar to you and so i i find myself um i think one of the most difficult things i uh to answer is when somebody early stage for-profit social entrepreneur who's working in a place like sub-Saharan Africa comes to me and says, where's the money? And I say, I, I don't really know. Here's a few names. Here's a few great funders that we have worked with. Um, but I, I don't have a good answer. Right. And if it's not for profit, how different is the scenario? Well, it's totally different. Then there's a whole world of grant funders interested in work that benefits the very poor. I mean, it's way easier to uh, direct people to good grant funders. There's a whole, you know, it's not a highly, it's not an efficient ecosystem by any means, but there does exist an ecosystem. Um, the, uh, the ecosystem of for-profit investors in these settings, and especially for early-stage impact-first ideas, it's that's a pretty empty cupboard. And who are who are the people giving the grant funding? And are, are they going to stay the the the, the distance? Because I guess one of the ideas of the you know maybe for the for-profit is this idea of them being more sustainable financially better able to scale but clearly you either are or you aren't you either have the you know either the the, the market structure and the the situation will allow that or not but um and we talk to people about um impact at scale uh, there's two really important questions who's the doer and who's the payer so if you have an idea that you think is scalable, you have to you have to really think about who your doer at scale might be. And there's only really four choices. It's you growing a really big organization, either a for profit or not for profit, or lots of NGOs replicating your idea, or lots of businesses replicating your idea, or government replicating your idea. And that's it. There's four. And so if you've got, say, a community health worker model that's originally supported by private philanthropy, um, well, let me let me look at the other half of that equation, which is which is asking the question, who's the payer at scale? If you know your doer at scale, who's the payer at scale? And it's either customers, taxes, big aid, or private philanthropy. So if you have an idea and you want to scale up via government, if you you know a community health worker idea will not scale up via the market, you can't create a single organization big enough to solve the problem worldwide. So ultimately, the people who provide care for poor people in developing countries are governments. So you, if you really want to make a difference, you're, what you're doing is designing and developing a model to scale up via government. Um, and so there's an endpoint for private philanthropy in that. You develop the model and you work to create the process to scale it up via government and you perhaps support that scale up over time 
and that is a uh, especially if you start reaching into the larger institutional pools of funding that's a viable strategy for a not-for-profit organization to get to impact at scale uh, but only via scaling others who are themselves accessing bigger pools of capital can you really create true impact at scale. Right, right. So finally, Kevin, you've highlighted some of the issues you see in the impact investment world and investment priorities and such. Are you optimistic that we're going to see change here? Not particularly. Again, I'm talking about my window. I can't say anything intelligent about impact investing, say, in the U.S. or rich countries. And I can't say anything about it beyond the social entrepreneur world. Um, and I think the real question is for impact investing is to uh, try to differentiate between maybe money and real money. And honestly, I think impact investing money should be mostly fall within the realm of maybe money, but it is vastly concentrated in real money. And I don't think that if, if you really think, you know, to my mind, impact investing should imply something concessionary. Either you are willing to settle for a much lower return um, to get maximum impact, or you're willing to take a much bigger risk to create maximum social impact. And if you're not doing one or both of those things, I don't know why you'd be called impact investing. Very good point. Very good point. Point to to, to finish um, this podcast. And uh, thank you, Kevin, for your time and thoughtful answers to these questions. And uh, to wish you the very best with your ongoing work and commitment and, and drive behind Malago. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure, and thanks so much for what you're doing. It's a really important thing. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.